Hello and welcome to ERA On Air, the official podcast of ERA, the Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning, and Heating. This is the last of a three-part series from the recent Melbourne Forum event on energy poverty. Check out the other two episodes first, as at the end of this one, there's a Q&A with all three speakers. Today's episode is with Michelle Burton from Sustainability Victoria, talking about a pilot program in the Latrobe Valley, aiming to retrofit homes to make them cheaper to maintain at comfortable temperatures. Thank you. Today I'm going to talk about the Trove Valley Home Energy Upgrades Programme. It's a programme that we're undergoing at the moment. It started in 2017 and it will continue on until mid-next year. It was announced as part of the 2016-17 state budget with a funding of $5 million. And there was a lot of property in the Latrobe Valley that was developed for the um, mining sector when it, when it came about in the, in the 1950s and 1960s. It wasn't necessarily designed to be long-standing. Um, it certainly wasn't designed necessarily to be um, still around today. So a lot of it, like cement, um, fibro, kind of not energy efficient in the slightest, and a lot of it is still there and um, not really servicing the people very well that live in the valley. As we've already explained, it was designed to help low-income households save energy and to improve their thermal comfort. It's in the Latrobe Valley, but it's specifically across the local government areas of Latrobe City, Wellington and Bourbal. So as well as helping to improve the thermal comfort and save energy, it's also about helping the Latrobe Valley community, which is a community in transition. Um, so Hazelwood Power Station and the mine was closed down in 2017. And um, it's a pretty economically deprived region of Victoria. Um, another purpose was to help stimulate economic growth in the region. So as a part of the program, we have been responsible for the employment of, of local tradespeople, for example. So the deliverables of the program are um, 1,000 homes will receive um, home energy upgrades. They will be valued at up to $4,500 per household. The program is only open to low-income households. So the eligibility criteria for that is defined as people with a healthcare concession card, a pensioner concession card, be a member of an energy or water retailer hardship scheme, and I'll talk more about hardship in a bit, be a community housing tenant, but it wasn't um, or it isn't eligible. People that live in public housing are not eligible for the program. And across the three local government areas, um, we've, we are trying to make sure that the, um, the householders that participate represent the population of each of those areas. So in Latrobe City, for example, there are about twice as many households as there are in Wellington and Bourbal. When the funding was announced for the programme, we obviously did some research into looking at what the number of households were that would be um, like our target audience in the region. And I guess the most important thing from this diagram to take is that there are um, approximately 16,500 households in the region that were eligible. Um, the total households in the region are approximately 67,000. This has probably changed a little bit because this research was done in 2017. You know, it's, it's approximately about right. As we said, the programme was announced in February 2017. And um, the Latrobe Valley Authority, which is a state government agency which is based down in the Latrobe Valley, is the front face of the programme. The reason for that being um, they have an office down there and have a good profile in the community. So it was thought of as more useful that um, a, local, a local government agency would be the main contact point. Hills Energy Solutions, a business that deals in retrofits as its bread and butter, was appointed to help deliver the, the programme in July 2017. And the contracts were signed in December 17, and the program went into delivery mode mid last year. So the reason it took quite a long time is because there was a lot of health and safety and risk factors that we had to take into account to make sure everything was, you know, in the best possible shape it could be before we um, engaged in the program. And then more recently, we have engaged with first person consulting 
um, who will help us to determine the energy savings as a result of the program and also um, look at the customer satisfaction. And just as an aside, I was actually talking to um, Ella from First Person Consulting, who's here today, and um, they've just started receiving back some of the participant satisfaction surveys. And um, the results, um, people have, are reporting really great outcomes. But just to share with you, apparently somebody has got back saying that they haven't had hot water for several years, and they've had to take their children to their mother's house to shower them for a long time. And so this program has made a really big difference to their lives. And an elderly person has um, commented that they can now heat their house to 16 degrees. And that's great. So and 16 degrees to me is pretty cold. <laughs> but you know, that's a good outcome for that person. So that's, that's really great. So in terms of recruitment for the program, people were able to express their interest in participating in the program. It was widely promoted in the media. And a lot of people um, signed up to the program through that process, about 200 people. I came on board to help work on the program in May 2017. And having come from a background of working with low-income households and the trusted source thing being a really important factor, I identified that it would probably be quite useful to actually go out into the valley and talk to people, work with agencies and organisations that have a relationship directly with vulnerable households and so that we could ask them to recruit households to the programme, did presentations at multicultural group meetings, talked to welfare agencies such as Quantum and Berry Street, I went to talk to local government and um, got a really great result actually from Bauble Council putting the um, advertising the program in the home and community care um, newsletter. So a lot of elderly people signed up from that. And then also um, have been working with retailers to recruit hardship customers to the program. And so the retrofits that are actually available in this program, they're at, so there's a range that can be offered to the householder. And one of the great things about this program, it also makes the program very complex, is that it is very tailored to each individual home. So they could have insulation, hot water heating, central heating, lighting, reverse cycle air conditioning, solar panels, space heating, window coverings. It's probably some I've forgotten there. We call them upgrade packages and essentially the delivery partner determines which upgrade package is most um, suitable for each household, up to $4,500. About a year ago, we decided that we should probably target, well, actually it was probably more than a year ago now, working with hardship customers. So while hardship customers are eligible for the program, a lot of people that are on energy hardship don't necessarily even know that that's what it's called. They don't necessarily self-identify as being a hardship customer. But just to explain what hardship is, it's people that are struggling to pay their bills and have entered into a payment plan with their retailer. Currently, or according to the Essential Services Commission Victorian Energy Market Report from last year, the average debt of a hardship customer was $1,436. And in Victoria, 98,000 households were on hardship. People um, in energy hardship, it's obviously a problem. There was also new legislation that was brought in in 2019, in January 2019, to put more obligation on the energy retailer to um, help customers manage their bills. So hardship isn't really supposed to be about letting customers get into an, an, an enormous amount of debt and then trying to help them chip away at that. And what actually ends up happening is when they have this large debt, they're obviously still using energy. The payment plan is probably never going to pay the debt off, let alone cover the energy that they're using. So there's an incentive for the retailer to manage the process better. And obviously, it's um, not great for the consumer of the energy to have this big debt. We actually had a really positive response from the energy retailers in terms of wanting to work with us to try and help their hardship customers um, be recruited to the program. So we established a stakeholder reference group comprised of um, energy and water retailers, probably those that have more customers in the valley. So um, you're looking at AGL, Origin, Energy Australia, there's Alinta, Simply Energy and Red Energy. 
try to run a bit of a concerted campaign to get the retailers to recruit their customers to the programme in early 2018. There were varying levels of success to this recruitment campaign, and a lot of it was just, I, I think it was probably down to the mode of recruitment. So people that were phoned directly were more likely to sign up to the programme than people that were sent an SMS, for example, or sent a letter. One retailer in particular did really well, and they had a dedicated person who had a relationship, I think, already with a lot of the hardship customers. They actually managed to get 80 people um, registered to the programme. Moving on from our initial work with um, energy retailers, we asked AGL if they would like to work with us to specifically recruit 90 of their, of their customers to our programme, and they would actually help fund those retrofits. We entered into a contract with them in late 2018, and it was determined that we would Sustainability Victoria would make the calls to recruit the households, mostly because we just have more experience of like how to work with this particular cohort, recruiting them to retrofit programmes. And we saw it as a bit of an opportunity to run it as a randomised control trial um, with Behaviour Works Australia and to test two different scripts to see the effectiveness of different behaviour change interventions. So Behaviour Works Australia, if any of you don't know, it's a um, behaviour change research body that's um, housed in Monash University. So we called over 200 households as part of the trial and we used the behaviour change interventions to try and convert them to full participants. And out of that, we managed to get 76 households recruited to the programme, which isn't actually bad considering that was a fairly small pool to start with. And the behaviour change interventions that were trialled were scarcity, so we can only invite a select few households into the programme, loss aversion, so avoid losing money on your energy bills, norms so most people at this point are happy to go ahead with the upgrade and making future consequences more salient so imagine how you would feel if you got a future energy bill that is lower than you expected so one of the things this program was announced and um, we had to go into delivery mode very quickly and so with the benefit of hindsight it would have been really good to have spent more time planning the recruitment and, and sort of how we capture the data processes properly finally while this program is um, great because it delivers a really tailored retrofit package to householders. It's much simpler to say we're just going to install solar or we're just going to install heating into a thousand homes. Ultimately, it will be much more of an effective programme, but it does make it much more co complicated to roll out. That's me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michelle. I would like to invite all speakers to the stage to answer questions from the floor. Thank you. Alan Pierce from RMIT and a few other places. I guess I wanted to preface my question. As someone who's been trying to do something about this train wreck for 30 years or more, it is really exciting to see what's going on here and to see just how people are unravelling the complexity of this situation. And, but I guess my, my question is really about the next stage of the challenge, which is what do each of the panel think will be the strategies or policies that might deliver this kind of support to half a million Victorian households? Um, I'm not going to talk about Victoria, but um, I think one of the things that's become very evident to us is that effective action on this covers a range of government agencies. It covers a range of you know jurisdictional and Commonwealth governments. And so I think, and, and it requires people to move out of those silos and talk to each other. We've been talking about the need to establish a social compact, that what we're actually talking about is, is a commitment by governments and that you would hope that it's governments at the highest level, it's first ministers and the prime minister. 
we haven't, like, <laughs> I don't think we've got there yet. But I think we're starting to see a bit of a, a sea change that helps focus on these issues, uh, actually largely because we, we've almost rung as, we've rung as much as we can out of energy regulation. You know, energy retailers can do so much, but they're actually not going to upgrade your house. So it's, it's then about, well, who's, whose role is it to step in and help with that? And so I think the focus has switched back on to government. The next steps, I think, is around, as I said, trying to encourage governments to move out of those silos and talk to each other. Our programs are pilot programs. They're often uh, pilot programs, uh, retrofit pilot programs run. And obviously, we would like to see something um, happen with them. So in my, in my team, my colleagues run the Victorian Healthy Homes program. And that's great because it's a research program that actually links um, health outcomes with retrofits with elderly, elderly households. So I'm pretty hopeful that that will actually help have some impact on um, policy making going forward because of the research component. So it's good to know that these programs do actually help impact research that then feeds into policy. Ines from GIW. First of all, thank you for your presentation. It was informative, but also a little bit shocking. <laughs> My question is of more your views on energy performance labelling, which is uh, in Europe quite mandatory for owners who want to rent or uh, sell a property, and why initiatives like this don't really find a lot of traction in Australia. Mm, I've been wondering about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think energy labelling does a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily have the outcomes that European policymakers thought it would be. So it, the premise was that if you have an F-rated home, that you would do something about it to uh, make it at least a D or an E or maybe a B. Uh, but householders are not that keen on retrofitting and barriers there. It's not broken. Why should I change it? Or, you know, I've always lived like that. So I think there are cultural issues around that as well. Yes, it helps. It will definitely help with making everything more transparent. But um, if it is all about location, then I think location is valued more than um, the energy rating of the building, for example. So it's not quite as easy as if just labeling will change everything. It does a little bit. It provides information, which is very often needed. But it doesn't, didn't create that surge in retrofits that everyone expected. I'm opinionated about this thing. Um, <laughs> I and, and I should say this is um, probably a, a me opinion, not an ECA opinion. Um, I think housing, a focus on housing is a thing. It's a, an issue whose time has come and it's come with a vengeance. I think we have people in various state governments talking about mandatory disclosure of energy performance ratings for rental homes. I think we have tried voluntary for a long time and... I'm kind of happy to move on and move to some sort of mandatory rating system. I, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with Nikki. It doesn't solve all the problems. It helps create an incentive for forward action. The, the two complaints that you hear uh, when people talk about improving energy performance is, oh, well, consumers don't ask for it or it's going to be too expensive. And I think we've sort of solved that it's going to be too expensive. Consumers are going to start asking for it. We're talking with our constituents. There's enough information now about climate change. That's, that dialogue's going to change. Hi, Anna Lindstad, architect with FPPV. And again, like Alan said, fantastic work, all of you. It's really, really good. Um, I just have a question about 
the reason for all this, which is the cost of um, power, particularly electricity. And as I understand it, the main reason why the electricity costs have soared, apart from retailers and utility companies wanting to make a profit, is that they need to build increased infrastructure to meet the peak demand. So also, as I understand it, we now have the technology with smart metering in all households to actually manage that demand load. And so people like me who are very fortunate and have a passive solar house that doesn't need air conditioning, I would be happy for my power supply to be shut down to, you know, bare minimum so that some poor elderly person can have the air conditioning that they need because they've got a terrible house. And so in your lobbying, is have you got the capacity to kind of, or the opportunity to lobby from that front as well to, sort, to, to reduce the demand? A couple of things I think is that cost drivers have come from a range of sources. The introduction of renewable energy, which has meant that the networks had to work in ways that we haven't anticipated. We have what is the largest energy generation source in Australia is now people's roofs. And that's putting strains on the network that nobody really anticipated. So I think there's, uh, and, and that's had a cost. So that transition has had a cost. Um, one of the things we have heard consistently from customers, we do a community listening tour, we go out into the regions and ask customers what they're thinking and it's come up without fail at every meeting we've had is I want to be if I've got a solar panel on my house I'd like to donate that to my mother to reduce her bill or I'd like to give it away or I'd like to somehow share that one of the issues I think within the current regulatory framework it's entirely centered on an individual customer there's not really a concept of community we don't really have the retailers at the moment who are very good at being able to manage that. But they'll come as well, I think. There is one company, I'm about to sign up with them, that offers um, residents who with smart metering the opportunity to reduce their power demand during peak times. I think it's called Power Shop. Oh, power Shop, yeah. yeah. No, that, no, you certainly it's, it's can. It's very limited. It's, it's kind of new and, yeah, I'd just like to see more of that, to be honest. No, uh, and that's the research we found. There is not, there's, the incentives are poor at the moment for, for retailers to do that. That's something we'd like to see change and I think something governments are conscious of. Uh, g'day, my name is Joel. I'm just an apprentice carpenter from down the Peninsula Way. I just have a quick question for Michelle. So your drop-off rate throughout the The hardship customers? Yeah, the hardship customers. Yeah. So I don't know whether you've done the approach where AGL are able to physically print on the bill that they're eligible so you've, you're you gaining that trust through AG, AGL straight away so it's something that, that well um yeah thanks so um AGL initially sent an sms to their householders letting them know that we were about to um call them so they try to prep them that way i think one of the issues might be that um someone from energy australia once said to me that the only industry no actually that energy retailers are more hated than banks um, and so I think one of the issues is actually that AGL isn't necessarily probably seen as a trusted source to its own customers and that's nothing against AGL it's just all retailers I think that's probably the case and, and as this person said to me um, the only time you never get good news from your retailer you're either even if you pay your bills on time you're only ever going to hear from your retailer when you get a bill or obviously if you're a hardship customer then you're having more problems than that Certainly, there's a lot of avoidance of people opening mail and that kind of thing when they are in a lot of debt. 
So I don't even know if they would necessarily open their bills. I mean, they might, they might not. It's interesting. I, I wonder whether part of the reason why there was a lower uptake was because of our association with the retailer, even though we were targeting their customers. But like I said, we don't know for sure yet because we haven't actually done all our evaluations. Hi, I'm Mel. Um, I work for a bank, so it's a nice segue <laughs> into the trusted parties. But my question also on the retailer piece, and um, particularly for you, Michelle, because you seem to have this great partnership with AGL and maybe some other retailers for the program. If there's such a good incentive for them to um, support this program to alleviate some of the energy hardship customer base that they are dealing with, why wouldn't they want to carry this program on beyond the pilot stage in partnership with yourselves? Um, and maybe the other piece on the, the energy retailer um, aspect is, I don't know about anyone else in this room, but I get spam phone calls almost every week from people pretending to be energy retailers. So I don't answer those phone calls, those um, text messages and I imagine that that's quite a difficult challenge to overcome with this program. I think engaging generally these days is difficult. Like um, even email, people seem to see it as a news feed. <laughs> so lots gets ignored. Um, yes, well, we, we are talking with the retailers about our relationship um, going forward. Um, obviously, being a state government agency, we also have to consider our reputational um, reputational issues around aligning ourselves with a retailer or multiple retailers. So we do have to bear that in mind. But we are working very closely with the retailers. So we have that stakeholder reference group that I was talking about. And in fact, we're meeting next week. Um, and I think with AGL, we're just seeing how it's been quite frustrating because um, just because it's quite hard to engage these these customers. So while we have um, entered into this contract to recruit 90 householders, and as I was saying before, we managed to recruit 76, I actually didn't then go on to say that of that 76, we've only managed to convert so far um, 42 into full participants. So that, that drop off, even after they've officially been recruited to the program is quite large. So, um, that might be a reason why um, it, it might be tricky to, to take this, sort of make this a, a partnership going forward in that it just might be really, we might have to think of some more inventive ways of, of actually engaging with householders if we wanted to do that. But I guess just watch this space and we'll see what happens. Hi, thank you. Uh, once again, I would like to thank all the speakers, uh, Nikki, uh, Kerry and Michelle. And tonight's presentation is going to be available from the Melbourne Forum website by tomorrow afternoon. And an online survey will be sent to you. Please take some time to complete that. And tonight's session would not be possible without the support of the Melbourne Forum partners. I think I can probably know them in, uh, without looking at the sheets. So Sustainability Victoria, Sustainable Building Innovation Lab, RMIT University, Melbourne School of Design, University of Melbourne, and the International Building Performance Simulation, and Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning and Heating. With this, I close the Melbourne Forum. And if you joined us for all three episodes from this Melbourne Forum event on energy poverty, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed it. But if this was your first, I hope you're happy to hear there's two more waiting for you. If you're enjoying the show, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by dropping a line to era at era.org.au. If you have any requests or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear them. And if you are enjoying the show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you tell a friend. I've been your host, Mark Spencer. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back soon.